Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for... Longhorn Nation, we're back! Overreaction Monday! Go Hawks! Yes, sir! Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Hi, welcome to the pod. Listen, this is the year where up is down, down is up, and week to week means nothing. We got teams that stunk in week one, looking great in their or their first game, whatever week they are. Teams that look great, look terrible. Uh, this is going to be the craziest season ever. Although Alabama just sort of rolls along. But I don't know how you make much out of this, but it was a highly entertaining uh, Saturday. And the one I want to start with is TCU 33, Texas 31. In a great gambling moment, a game-ending safety <laughs> caused the over to hit. <laughs> I didn't even know it caused the over to hit. Uh, wonderful. That's- Apple stock, people. Apple stock. It's it's a little down right now. It's a little beat up. <laughs> you shouldn't be taking the under in college football anyway, but that's no. got to that's gotta be a, co- uh, a Scott Van Pelt bad beat right there. Lock of the wheat, baby. I yeah. took the under. Let's go. Yeah. By Sully, the hook. Sully got it with the hook. So, look, here's the situation. What, what do you make of the Texas program? Uh, uh, you know, TCU is 7-2 and two against Texas. Since joining the Big 12, Gary Patterson has their number. Gary Patterson's a better coach than any coach they've had down in Texas. I don't think you can pry Gary Patterson out of Fort Worth. But this far into uh, the next, you know, the latest tenure, at what point is Texas back? What point is Texas, Texas again? This was shaping up as a Big 12 that they could romp through. And uh, here you go. So. Pete, why don't we start with you? Thoughts on the on the Longhorn program after losing to the uh, Horn Frogs again? So, you know, I wrote this in ten takeaways on Saturday night, and it is fascinating. I mean, this may be the most completely fatalistic Red River shootout in my lifetime of covering college sports. Right? You know, again, I'm not going to spin it to Oklahoma yet. I know we're going to talk about them, but they roll in zero and two, and really a shell of what we knew them as. Texas is just this ball of self destruction. I mean, the first quarter of Texas TCU, maybe the worst quarter of football that I've watched. Certainly this year, and definitely in a long time. I'm, I'm not sadistic enough to rank, like, you know, how, you know, with the worst quarters of my life. But it took about an hour and a half 
Um, it was funny. Some games were like midway through the third quarter when Texas and TC went to halftime because it was just such a penalty-filled, just total, total slog. Um, and I, I really think that the most compelling thing – so t- Texas is just a mess. There's no other way to say it. They can't tackle. They had 19 missed tackles, I read, against Texas Tech. That stat hadn't emerged for TCU. But it certainly probably wasn't 19 because the other one game went to overtime, but it certainly wasn't good. The optimism that comes with we brought in a new defensive coordinator, we brought in a new special teams coach, we have a new wide receivers coach, all the sort of spring storylines of improvement that came along with Texas are pretty much scuttled at this point. They, they, they just look like a mess. There's no other way to, there's no other way to really, uh, to really say it. And I'm captivated this week by what happens to the loser of this game, because it's either one and two in the big 12 Texas with no hope of winning the big 12 or Owen three Oklahoma with, you know, really no hope of winning. Big 12. Like it is a, it is a completely completely fascinating game. This was sort of when a lot of the Herman era was going to supposedly coalesce behind the star quarterback, behind the skill they brought back at receiver. They got a first round pick at uh, at offensive tackle and Sam Cosby. Like th- you were starting to supposedly see some of the dividends of the upticks in recruiting, et cetera. And uh, they, they just haven't showed up. There's no evidence that Texas is back, is on the way back, uh, is anything. Texas is just another program at this point. And no matter how, how what they try, which coach, what facilities they try to upgrade, you know, the recruiting gets better. The results never get better. If you think about the one, the, as you said, Pete, they if they lose, they'd be one and two. Really, they should be 0 and 3 next week because, I mean, they were very, very lucky just to beat Texas Tech. So they have just so massively underachieved it it is really perplexing change coaches change stat whatever change approaches it doesn't matter nothing really changes they still are incredibly error prone occasionally very soft they just always the other team always looks like they're trying harder frankly than texas and oklahoma i thought both on saturday the teams they played tried harder tcu tried harder iowa state played harder you know, the play that really stood out to me, and it really, this one wasn't Texas's fault so much, but the play where they throw to Keontae Ingram, little running back circle pattern out, and, and TCU blows the coverage. And he's going for like 50 yards, and he's going to score, but LeKendrick Van Zant for TCU runs him down. LeKendrick Van Zant was a three-star kind of. Nobody wanted him. I mean, TCU was the only Power 5 school that offered him. No, I, wait, I'm sorry. Oklahoma State offered him as well. But mostly it was AAC or, you know, Incarnate Word or stuff like that. And that guy runs him down, makes the tackle, and then two plays later, Keontra Ingram fumbles at the one-yard line and the game's over. So, you know, effort just it, for some reason, I you know, again, there, there seems to be some bizarre sense of entitlement that goes along with putting the Longhorn helmet on or the OU helmet on that isn't matched by the results. Certainly at Texas, it's not matched by the results because they haven't been any good in quite some time. And there's no signal that that's changing. I, I wonder, you know, Texas TCU is beating Texas most most every year. TCU's kids, TCU gets very good recruits, but a lot, Texas gets a little better. And I just 
what I don't quite get, and this has been a case for Texas for years now, whether it was, you know, Baylor stepping up or as Texas Tech at, at times, or certainly TCU, some of these other schools, how the, it doesn't seem like Texas matches the in-state intensity on the field in, in these in-state games. Like they still, right. it, it, it didn't, didn't look like they still saw TCU as a rival. Like right. they're still looking down on TCU, even though these kids, we're talking nine years. It's not like they, TCU is new to the Big 12. In their lifetime, right. basically, TCU has been in the Big 12. But it just, it still feels like they look like it's like, oh, this is just one of these other in-state schools. Like this is UTEP, right? We're just going to run UTEP off the field or whoever else they might play in a, in a non-conference in-state. And for too many years now, TCU and Baylor particularly have just been just better yeah, and and play harder and their kids play harder and they're coached harder and all of those things. And that's what's to me, it's got to be the most disappointing thing for Texas is it just it just never looks like it's like they still act like they're they were what they were when Mac Brown was around. And. But they are. It's just like the, the the trappings of this great program, but it's like you have to beat. This is not a great Texas Christian team. It's lost to Iowa no. State. Right. Now, albeit Iowa State just beat I Oklahoma. But it you know, this is not a great Texas TCU team. No. And you you're you got them at home. You need to take care of that and then walk into the, the shootout. And it just seems like there's just continually, no matter how many times they switch coaches, something missing with this program. And I, I obviously if I knew how to solve it, I'd become the head coach of Texas and make five million dollars <laughs> a year. But or I'd get one of these consultant gigs, but it's just it just baffles me to watch this stuff. It's like you have so much great talent sitting there, but it seems like they get the talent, they just don't always get the the competitor. And and yeah. Ellinger, I mean, just let it come back the week before and stuff. But like, it's just like I think they overlooked Texas Tech that week. Now they looked, you know, this time it bit them. It's like you you're Texas. You need to slap these guys around. You cannot be in dogfights, let alone losing seven of nine to these other schools in the state now that A&M's out of there. Right. I mean, they were so soft on the defensive line against TCU. I mean, they're just – where's the competition? Where's the where's the badasses up there? And then where's the competitiveness? I mean, TCU was 44 carries for 99 yards against Iowa State. Not very good. Then they turned around and played Texas 50 carries for 226 yards. They mauled them up front. And again, not a great TCU team. Nobody's looking at that saying, man, I can't wait to have that running back in the NFL, you know, or those linemen per se. But, I mean, they, they just pushed Texas around. Where is the toughness up front? So living up here in uh, in New England, you, you follow the Patriots inherently. And one of the things you learn that Bill Belichick disdains more than anything in football is when a ball carrier is approaching the goal line and he tries to reach out to score the ball. He basically exposes the ball in the air. Dan, you've covered a bunch of Patriots. Oh, yeah. How often is that a talking point? Like nothing gets you benched quicker than trying that, right? Do not fumble on the one yard line. That fumble is not the same as a fumble on the 40 yard line. So yeah. Keontae Ingram violates one of the most basic tenets of football. He is not even close to the goal line, by the way. And he reaches the ball out 
and fumbles. Now, look, kids trying to score a touchdown, but that's a discipline thing right there. That's a coaching thing right there. And that is an unforgivable mistake. Because Keon Ingram scores there, there's a pretty good chance Texas goes into Red River 2-0 and is the luckiest team in college football, right? But, like, look, the Big 12 has been filled with sort of these, like, wild slog games for two decades, right? They're usually a little higher scoring. They're usually a little more aesthetic. But to win the Big 12, you have to win bat-crazy games every week. And ultimately, you have to have some – if you are going to outlast and, and make less mistakes than your opposition, you can't have critical fundamental errors. And to me, it was a very fitting way that Texas would be haunted with Keontae Ingram dangling the ball there and getting smartly ripped out. And, and, and I double down on Pat's, Pat's point on Van Zandt. That saved the game for TCU. You know, um, at least at least it wasn't uh, one of those dudes who got caught looking behind. Did you see those clips oh, on uh, oh. Saturday? AJ Rose from yeah, yeah, AJ Rose from, from Kentucky, Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. celebrating. Yeah, oh. uh, it wasn't that gross, but it's just it was a clear and distinct fundamental error by Keontae Ingram that is you know considered unforgivable in you know the most professional professional football programs, and that's why. We're not calling Texas the luckiest top 10 team in college football today. We're, you know, we're calling them what they have shown to be, which is just sort of a self-destructive penalty riddled mess. This is the thing about Texas. And I'll get you to go, Pat, after this. You have the advantages. You have the talent. If you are disciplined and you do what you're supposed to do, you will win. You should win all the almost all these games. And, you know, and that, that's what you see at Alabama. They don't. Alabama is rarely they lose games occasionally, but they're not. They're rarely in these things where they got to get lucky. Uh, they, they, they get out there and they take care of business. And Saban's the closest thing to Belichick uh, in college football, or you could flip that and say Belichick's the closest thing to Saban in pro football. But if you have the talent advantage, you need to teach your kids, yeah, at the goal line, you don't reach out. You put your shoulder down. Let's go. You're bigger, faster, stronger than that kid that you're playing you know, pretty much 85, 95% of the collisions. This isn't the Oklahoma game. This is the TCU game. You were better than that kid when you were in high school. You were better than that kid at Texas Tech, and they're not doing it. So it's just totally disappointing start to this Texas Tech season, even if they had become the luckiest team in, in the world. <laughs> Pat, yeah. any more on Texas, and we'll move on. Yeah, no, I mean, like what you said is 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 very accurate, that, that like if the, Alabama, like Alabama – had a guy, a defensive back Saturday who kind of cavalierly tried to shove an AM receiver out of bounds and didn't get him out of bounds and he scored like a 50 yard run. And when that happens at Alabama, you're like, what? Whoa, that never happens. With Texas, the guy tries to reach the ball out across going like, yeah, that's Texas. Or they commit eight penalties in the first quarter, you know, or whatever the number was. I mean, it was just, it was preposterous. I mean, the number of just sloppy, dumb, careless, not paying attention sort of penalties and mistakes. You can watch that. Yeah, that that's kind of how Texas plays. And you don't do that with some of the other more successful programs out there. So where are we with Tom Herman's future? Since we overreact here on the overreaction Monday. <laughs> yes, we Four do. years in, he's 27 and 16. He's 18 and 11 in conference. Texas Bowl, Sugar Bowl win. That was the big one. Texas is back. Nope. Alamo Bowl, they won last. Hasn't won the league. Beat they don't, they don't look good. once. He's got one league title game appearance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you get rid of him, but boy, 
I mean, he has not earned the large salary that he got to come, you know, and, and everybody thought, and I was one of them, that he was going to be the guy. That, you know, he would get them back to where Mac Brown had them between 2000 and 2010. Uh, and it has not transpired. I would not I would not fire him because I, I just think at this point, you're just kind of keep changing guys out. I think you, you've, you've got to at least give it one more year, unless this thing just goes completely bonkers bad. But again, it would also it would cost a lot of money at a time when schools are losing a lot of money. So... Uh, even though it's the overreaction Monday podcast, I'm going to underreact and say that unless Texas ends up like one and nine, I would give Tom Herman a fifth year. Well, that one win would be over UTEP, Pat. So, I mean, <laughs> clearly it earned it. Um, <laughs> yeah. The uh, I'm going to overreact the other way and say there's zero chance Texas fires Tom Herman. And here's why. He is owed, I'm just back of the napkin math here on a, on a Sunday morning. Uh, he makes about six million bucks a year. He's got three years left on his deal after this year. So that's 18 million. If it's not fully guaranteed, it's darn close to fully guaranteed. So let's just use 18 as a, as a base number just for Tom Herman, just for Tom Herman. All right. And then you have his staff. They hired off the top of my head, Coleman Hutzler, Andre Coleman, Chris Ash, Jay Bulware, and I think one other. Oh, Mike Yersich who's the highest paid, I believe, until Sark got his deal, he was the highest paid guy. So Yersich is 1.8. I think it's a three-year deal. Um, three-year deal. Mm. Yes. And Ash is, I believe, a three-year deal in the 1.5 neighborhood. Ash is making a lot of money. It, it might be because of the Rutgers stuff. It might be a little bit, like, the, the numbers might look a little different. So anyway, let's just say 25-plus million. Wow, by the way, they're creating some crazy $100 million end zone project. I will say I will say this as like if you wanted a differentiator between the Herman era and the strong era and again, recruiting, recruiting rankings, all that stuff. It can be a little muddled because the kid goes to Texas and instead of TCU, they're just going to make him a four star. So some of that stuff is like a little bit rigged in, in my opinion, except rivals, which is the most honest one. I do believe um, rivals is the most honest one. I, I will too. say that no, I do, too. That's that's sincere. That's sincere. But there was a there was a big noon kickoff stat talking point, which was which was really good, I thought, on Fox on Saturday, where they, they talked about all the schools with top 10 classes and said Texas has only had three first round picks in the same time. It was like 32 first round picks at Ohio or Alabama had 32 first round picks, Ohio State at 18, et cetera. So what, what I would say is this. They have Hudson Card in the program right now, who was a top three quarterback commitment out of Austin and then they have Quinn Ewers, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but who's the number one quarterback in the whole country in 22. So in the Charlie Strong era, now he did recruit Sam Ellinger, so I give him credit for that. There was just no discernible, like the quarterback play was brutal. All right. It was just completely unwatchable and brutal. And the end of the Mac Brown era was that way. Like if you have to make an argument for Tom Herman right now, there is at least a path at that position out of this, right? Like Oklahoma's, half to the playoff has been because of like supremely dominant quarterback play. And at least at Texas, there's like a peek into the future where you can say, okay, we're at least going to have for the next six years, elite, elite guys at that position. Yeah. I, I would not fire him. Uh, you know, he, he hasn't, he's done enough elsewhere, certainly at Houston, I guess that's basically his only head coaching job, but he, he's still probably the right guy there if he can just turn it, but something's got to give. Uh, to do it. And, and here's the other thing. I mean, the Big 12, as we'll get, we'll transition to that, is its own disaster. So the idea that Texas ends up, I mean, seriously, eight and one 
is or nine and one, whatever. What, I don't know how many games they're playing, and this is their only loss. Is not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, right. The rest of this schedule is rest of the schedule. They got the red, the remnants of the Red River rivalry on Saturday. <laughs> then can Fox use that, Pat? Can you? Yeah, tra- they're you they're know. welcome to it. <laughs> Probably not their idea of a great marketing vehicle, but Red um, River remnants. Baylor at Oklahoma State, which is already the last undefeated team in the league. West Virginia at Kansas, Iowa State at Kansas State. I mean, I'm looking at that, and I think they're losing at least two more, but you never know. Everybody in the league's bad, so how do you know? Right, but they could get it together. It's not like you're looking and going, so I would keep them, but this is certainly not the spot you want to be in. All right, Oklahoma, talk about disasters. Misery loves company. The Red River is dried up. (laughs) It's just just a sandbar now (laughs) separating these two states. In a dry town. (laughs) Oklahoma. Loses a 37 to 30 to Iowa State. Great night for, for my favorite uh, team, my team that enjoys my favorite beer, uh, Bush Light. Big Bush Light night in uh, Ames. Uh, I heard from some of play my... Play the song. Uh, yeah, let me play it. We love it in the city of Ames. Hooray! We love it in the I wish everybody listening to the pod could see Dan kind of nodding his head, grinning like, yes, that's good. This is good. I like it. Good song. It's catchy. Hooray! Oh, man. Never. will never not be funny. We'll never not be funny. Never. Well, it was a night for Ames. And I was told the bars in that county were closed still to it. An executive order doesn't open them until Monday. The poor bar owners of Ames lost so much money. (laughs) That's a brutal hit. Wow. I've got a feeling a few Ames pub owners listen to our podcast. So (laughs) send us a tweet. Send us an email. Something like that. We'll give you a pop on the next episode for your uh, for for your for your steep financial losses. I was drinking Bush Light while watching the game, and many of my followers were tweeting me pictures of them drinking Bush Light. It was a very we had a moment there. The the, the, the Cyclone Bush Light community. I feel like I'm part of it. That's Dan's best Saturday night in a long time. It was pretty good for me. Pretty good. <laughs> Connecting with a bunch of farmers. <laughs> Go Cyclones. Um, anyway, Oklahoma, second straight week. They have a big lead. They can just close these things out. And, you know, some years they lose to Iowa State. Some years they lose to Kansas State. This year they're losing yeah. to both. <laughs> yeah. It's I, unbelievable. I, how? How is Oklahoma 0-2? Again, it's one thing to play bad the whole game like Texas. It's another to actually be dominating the game and then just allowing the inferior team, no offense, hooray for Ames, to come back and take the victory. 
And then you get like a bunch of these, these kids in their, their, their striped overall shirtless in the stands. <laughs> it's like three dudes. Yeah. Right. Sleeting on them. Like, they don't care. It's already like 15 below in our aims. Like <laughs> there's no fall in aims. It just goes from no. blistering drought to, <laughs> that affects the corn to freaking cold as hell. These guys look. Uh, what is up with Oklahoma? I mean, it's just that, I will say this. I'll be telling you what's up with Oklahoma. That team is soft. Oh, they are. Good Absolutely. God. Tackle they somebody. Are. Yep. Same saw, thing I, is wrong with them that's wrong with Texas from that standpoint. They both look soft. They look like a bunch of guys that I don't know whether they haven't practiced hard or they don't feel like they need to try hard or what, but that's what they look like. Great stat from Max Olson of The Athletic. Uh, Oklahoma's second half rushing against Kansas State and Iowa State. 29 carries, 62 yards. So when they can't need to run the ball to try to hold lead, they can't do it. And then on the other end, they can't stop the other team. They can't tackle. They, you know, I mean, they look like a very soft program. And quite frankly, you know, Lincoln Riley losing his mind about the no call holding on what ended up being the game ceiling interception into the end zone. I, you know, I, I sure I can understand you being mad about that. It probably should have been called. But again, you are you're looking for excuses to be mad when you should be mad at your own team and mad at yourself. Uh, because your team is so massively underperforming. And, okay, I'm sure Oklahoma recruits get some of the same bump that Texas recruits get. But there is so much more talent in Norman than there is in Manhattan or Ames, other than songwriting abilities, obviously, in Ames. But, uh, you know, it's just – it's ridiculous to be losing to those teams. It just it, – it makes no sense unless you are seriously underachieving. Oklahoma committed four pass interference penalties, two defensive holdings. You know, they couldn't they couldn't stop the run. Brock Purdy averaged 11.3 yards a pass. Iowa State averaged 4.4 yards a rush. They basically did what they wanted. L let me ask you guys this. So this is sort of at, at the end of the night, I'm trying to like distill all this in my mind and try to write some version of a coherent column, which I usually fail, fail to do on Saturday nights around 2.30 in the morning. Who wins the Big 12? Tell me this. Like, does Kansas mm -hmm. State win the Big 12? What about Oklahoma State? They got a quality win over Tulsa now. Uh -huh. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. I mean, obviously they, they moved to the top of the sketchy class, but, you know, we'll see. I, I, the, them... Iowa State, Kansas State, I don't know. But, I mean, it's it, whoever wins, they didn't go into the playoff or shouldn't, in my opinion. I Oh, I totally I totally agree with that. I mean, yeah, the the Big 12 is, you know, where they play for the Sugar Bowl. Is that where they'd go? Yeah, it's, it's really Oklahoma State's the only team that's really got a, a way, I think, a, a path. Right. That Tulsa game doesn't look so bad if they beat UCF, which is a right. crusher yeah. for UCF. Yeah, and, Tulsa and they did, did the Big 12 they did the one beat favor Tulsa they needed. Too. They yeah. beat Tulsa. The other teams yeah. have all lost to somebody terrible. Right. Um, right. I saw this on Twitter, and I apologize because I'm stealing it from somebody who tweeted it, and it was not my thought. But the fact that Oklahoma has the most vicious tackling drill named after them, the Oklahoma <laughs> drill, <laughs> and cannot tackle. <laughs> is, <laughs> Bud is, Wilkerson is just like, what the hell? Yeah, that is that is pretty dang funny. That is That yeah. is karmically bizarre, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that's it's. We'll get to the Red River uh, shootout this week. Uh, don't shoot. If there's ever a year not to shoot each other yeah. during the Red River, this is the yeah. one. <clears throat> These teams suck. Do not kill somebody 
for this this rivalry this year. Maybe next yeah, year. If they're both, if they're both in the top good. five, we'd understand it. Uh, there's but. a little more understanding. There's a little. This is not the year to kill your your neighbor because he just. How happens. many sad fried Oreos are going to be consumed at the Texas State Fair on Saturday? <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's Isn't closed. They, is, the canceled, right? is the fair open? Is the fair open? It's closed. It's closed. Right? Yeah. We got to do our it's, annual. Would you eat it? Would you? Yeah, eat oh, it? right. Yeah. 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 Look forward to that in the midweek podcast. All right, let's get to the <laughs> SEC where real football is still being played. All right, we're two weeks in, and I think we have got like a pecking order established. You have Alabama, you have Georgia, you have Florida, who look like the real contenders. And I'm getting to you, Sully. Relax. You know, the the cocktail game is going to be huge. Cocktail party. Uh, Georgia struggled early against Arkansas, but Arkansas looks pretty good. And once they went with the law firm of Stetson Bennett uh, as their quarterback, they've done fine. So I think those three look legit. And then you have questions. Tennessee, who is 2-0, but has not really faced any competition. But they could be there. Uh, and I think Auburn is, is still a possibility. Looked bad on Saturday, losing to Georgia. And then you've got this just, I think it's just going to be like a, a mosh pit in the middle. Arkansas, Mississippi State, Mississippi, LSU. Uh, A&M. Kentucky. Kentucky doesn't look good. You know, they haven't no. started good. AM's disappointing. And then you have the what's your term? Pete Flotsam and Jetsam of uh <laughs> Mizzou, Vandy, and South Carolina at the end. Uh it's but a I, favorite term, by the way. It is a good term. term. So thoughts on that. Obviously, I think I think the the big three did what you would really want. Um I don't think we got to go to each game. But thoughts on that, Pat? Yeah. Uh interesting. I, you know, I thought that. Well, is Florida looked very good for the most part, offensively, defensively still eh, against South Carolina. But, you know, they had the early show out. Uh, but then, like, afternoon and evening, the two powers of the league reasserted themselves. You know, Alabama's like, everybody else, step aside. And everybody else in the West has already lost a game. They have not lost a game. They have not come close to losing a game. They are, again, incredibly explosive in the passing game. You know, the, the speed that they have at receiver is is phenomenal. And they're making Mac Jones look very good. And Mac Jones is fine. He's good. But, you know, I don't think he's anything extraordinary. He is just throwing to extraordinary people. And they're running great schemes. And they're getting guys open. And you get those guys that talented that open, then you have 70, 80-yard touchdowns all over the place. Uh, and then on the other side, Georgia just beat down Auburn. I mean, punished Auburn in a game that let's see I think every all of my colleagues picked Auburn uh, in that game but I took the dogs and uh, got the lone wolf <laughs> victory there thank you um, hey you weren't the only one with the lone wolf either I wasn't I wasn't puffing my chest out over the TCU win that's true that's good well you shouldn't because you're mostly to be seen and not heard but congratulations <laughs> on TCU <laughs> yeah that got salty in a hurry that escalated. We got a little window into what parenting in the 40 house was like <laughs> wow anyway enjoy 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 the third place in the race standings oh <laughs> what did I finish Sully was I three and three yeah you're three and three that's fine. Uh, yeah, 500's plenty to plenty to pull away from this pack. So yeah. I think I was three and three too. Um, anyway, <laughs> so no, but Georgia did what it needed to do. It, it showed something much more than they had showed the previous week, and that's you know they are a physical, tough team, and their defense is extremely good. 
That is maybe the best defensive team in the country, I think, by the time all is said and done. And it's interesting, Stetson Bennett is not Jake Fromm, but the, he is following the Jake Fromm playbook exactly. He was the guy, you know, somebody else was supposed to be the guy. And when it was from, it was Jacob Eason was supposed to be the guy. He gets hurt. The home state guy who always wanted to be a dog steps in. Everybody's like, I don't know about this guy. And then you're like, oh, hey, he might be good enough. And he might be good enough. We'll see if he, he's not going to win a, a gunslinger show with Kyle Trask. And he certainly wouldn't with the Alabama uh, Armada either. But he might be good enough to have them right where you want Georgia to be because the rest of the team around him is very good, I think. And so that's that's my takeaway is that Georgia and Alabama put themselves in the positions we're used to seeing them after Saturday. I'm mad at Auburn because I was really looking forward to watching that game on Saturday and I hustled back from uh, BC, North Carolina to watch it and it was 24 to nothing or 24 to three or whatever when I got back. So I didn't watch a ton of that. I will say this. I thought of this on Saturday as I was flipping around trying to avert my eyes from Texas TCU. I, I don't think enough has been made to like, it's fun to have Florida football back being chesty and scoring big and thumping around. I mean, we dawdled through the Will Muschamp era. I mean, the guy tired Charlie Weiss as his offensive coordinator, right? And then it got worse. And then we had sputtered through Jim McElwain, which was just a mess. And Dan Mullen has like, first he brought competency back. And now there's like flash, like Florida football is sexy again. And that's great for the sport. The Kyles are a ton of fun. Um, they've got some explosive playmakers like they did back in Urban's time there. Certainly, I'm not throwing a party for Todd Grantham's defense yet, but I do think they'll uh, they'll figure it out. Do we have an early line, Sully? on uh, Florida at Texas A&M? Ooh, great question. I'll, I'll look that up. Hold the collar. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I guess we can get to Jimbo Fisher's misery at some point either today or in the, in the middle of, uh, in the in the, in the midweek podcast. That is certainly not a topic when you're the most overpaid coach in college football that we're going to be ignoring at any point. But I really thought, like, I just wanted to give a shout out to the Gators just kind of having a little swagger again. It's good to have Florida back. And uh, yeah, you're right. A&M, that, that was dreadful. On Saturday, non-competitive against Alabama. You're brought in to compete with these guys. Jimbo's at the stage where he's slipping notes to the bank teller on payday. <laughs> <laughs> what exactly are we getting here? Well, everyone's wearing a mask now. So everyone's like, wearing a, a mask. It's a little true. trickier. Yeah. So it's hard to distinguish. It is robbery. funny going to a bank with a mask. <laughs> like I think I said in the summer, I walked into a liquor store with a mask on in Detroit. You would get your ass shot. 12 months ago. <laughs> that is not going to be tolerated. Now they they thank you. Yeah, it's, it's uh you know, look, the beauty of this 10-game schedule is it's like everything's getting sorted out, man. Yep. I mean, yep. you know, what is, which one am I looking at here? Georgia's schedule coming up. They get, I mean, this had Auburn, Tennessee next week, Alabama after that. And they got Kentucky a couple weeks later, Florida. I mean, it's, they're all playing each other. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun a fun few weeks, but that's sort of the the spot we're at. All right, I want to make a in the chaos of the SEC Saturday a special shout out to Sam Pittman, one of our oh. podcast favorites. Yes, uh, sir. I think I think there was a lot of doubt at what Coach Pittman could do, <laughs> but not from this microphone. Ha! <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, they look pretty good. They hit. I I was stupid and picked Mississippi State. Last week as, as my lock. lock. Yeah, as my lock. Yeah. 
And then you mocked me for questioning your lock. Yeah, I did do <laughs> with that. With football logic. <laughs> but I was all wrong. Uh, <laughs> Arkansas played a really good game. And they play really hard. I'll give them that. They do not have the talent necessarily going. But if you're an Arkansas fan, you're pretty happy right now. And uh, Mississippi State's probably going to be what Mississippi State is, uh, at least at the early stages of this, because that was they couldn't run the ball and they needed to run the ball. Uh, I think it was like a critical fourth and two or something. It couldn't it just the magic of the week before was not there. Let's just put it that way. But a lot of that is how Arkansas played. I noted uh, on Twitter the last time Arkansas played at, at Mississippi State, they lost uh, 52 to six and two guys got suspended for hitting on the Mississippi State dance team. Remember that one? <laughs> Yeah. How could we oh, forget, yeah. Dan? Yeah. We, oh, that was that, oh, that was podcast outrage. I was you outraged. fired Chad Morris immediately after that. The guys, uh, <laughs> yes. doesn't believe in yes, romance. <laughs> Back then, for an Arkansas player to get a Mississippi State dance team member to even talk to him was a huge accomplishment. The team sucked. <laughs> now, I'm sure they're, they're, they're everyone's swiping right. Their DMs are full. Whole different ball game. They probably didn't even bother with the Bulldog dance team. Don't even need it anymore. <laughs> but that's how far this program's come. I think Sam Pittman would let him hit on the dancers. That's the kind of guy I think Sam Pittman is. He's not going to stand in the way of romance. Thoughts on Arkansas. Woo pig. Happy for that fan base uh, to be able to, you know, that that that's a, those are good fans, and that's a long time to suffer. Uh, 20 straight SEC losses, incredible uh, deprivation, I guess, that they went through. And now, yeah, I mean, look, they they were leading Georgia at the half, uh, got overwhelmed in the second half of that, but then they uh, they took care of business against a Mississippi State team that we were all touting. And I'll give, I'll give Pete Thamel credit because he did say that Barry Odom would have a much better defensive game plan, and they did. And it was the exact opposite of Bo Pelini's insane insistence on pressing in coverage against everybody. And they they sat back, they gave up underneath stuff, they then they drove up and tackled, and they also goaded KJ Costello into three picks. And the KJ Costello bandwagon screeched to a abrupt halt because not only did he throw three picks, he also turtled a bit when running, trying to get a key first down late in that game. Uh, and ended up costing them their chance to uh, to score a tying touchdown. So things look a lot different. This is college football in 2020. One week, Mike Leach is the toast of the podcast. The next, he's the GOAT. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Barry Odom was an excellent defensive coordinator at Memphis. He was an excellent defensive coordinator at Missouri. He was an unsuccessful head coach at Missouri in the very small sample size we saw. And I think a lot of times we judge people too much by the last snapshot we had of them, especially coaches and not of like the, the broader, you know, picture of their career. And so give Barry Odom a lot of credit for, for coming in with the game plan. Now let's just say this, he didn't sit in his room and like drop some exotic. There is a very refined game plan, how to stop Mike Leach and, and Jimmy Lake uh, and Pete Kukowski at Washington really did a great job there year after year after year, just sort of sucking all the life out of uh, Leach's offense. And, you know, we all over-celebrated and overreacted to the air raid, but there is also a reality of, of Mike Leach in that he's never won a league title, never won a division title at Washington State. And for all the glory and bountiful yards and quirky fun of that offense, it is also shown to have a ceiling. And if you have 
a great coordinator with a good plan. And I can't sit here and tell you I broke down. I, I, I watched a couple snaps of that game, but I was writing and watching. But I, I assume they dropped a bunch, right, Pat? Like, did they yeah, drop eight? Rush three, rush three, drop eight, shell coverage, keep everything in front. Correct. Yeah. Like, that's what Washington did for years. That's what other Pac-12 schools did. Like, there was a... In, off the top of my head, I'm not going to remember, but there was like th- two or three Pac-12 schools that like never lost to Leach, and then there was a bunch of schools that like completely obliterated. They, they completely obliterated. And um, I don't think like it's like you have to be flexible and you have to be comfortable doing what you are not usually comfortable doing. I, I can't tell you I, I saw what Arkansas did much against Georgia either, but I doubt it looked anything similar than Saturday. So good for Sam Pittman, good for Barry Odom adjusting. Uh, Kendall Bryles, it was kind of fun to see that offense a little bit uh, there. I don't think it did a ton. But it did. Uh, it it did just. It did just enough. And uh, yeah, Mike Leach is never boring, right? We're still talking about him. No, keeps it interesting. Lane Train got their first victory, beating Kentucky, who is a massive disappointment this season. There are times I was watching games on Saturday, and I just I I'm glad I don't bet on them because you just sitting there going, I didn't bet, I didn't pick Kentucky. I don't think we picked that game, but I'm like, why did I all of a sudden think Kentucky was going to be really good at football? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Kentucky yeah. won in, the offseason narrative. We've, uh, we fueled it. I did. I yeah. fell for it. I fell for it. I'm like, why yeah. do I? Look at these guys. They're, ch- they're right, running in for touchdowns and then celebrating early uh, and tackled. The the, yeah. I mean, coaches then, out of control, bad yeah. penalties. Like, what is going yeah. Like, why did I think they were going to be good? They miss an extra point. No. AJ, AJ Rose sticks up the, the two fingers, gets caught. And if I'm the coach, A.J. Rose didn't see in the field for a while after that. Stoops leaves him in, gives him the ball, and then he fumbles at the goal line trying to stick the ball over. Yeah. Same, Same possession. Great job. Bill Belichick would have cut him. <laughs> yes. What? After the first one. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. What am I doing? All right, Pete, I want to get an update on Trey Lance, the North Dakota State quarterback who had a one-game season set up in the fall. Uh, they played what? Central Arkansas, right? Yeah. Who, by the way, has the best nickname ever. We, you know, we've all watched Central Arkansas play Austin P. Then we watched him play UAB that night. So they clearly, instead of playing in the spring, they decided to play a bunch of bye games. And somebody, and I wish I could remember who as a coach, said they were nicknamed the Sugar Bears because <laughs> they <laughs> just took the money. <laughs> 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 So props to the Sugar Bears. We've been all over Central Arkansas, the pod, as everybody's been uh, been been listening. And quite frankly, that's three. I've watched Central Arkansas three different games this year, which is three more times than I've ever watched Central Arkansas in like the history of Central Arkansas. So Good job. the Sugar Bears, if the Sugar Bears, whatever they were doing, whatever they, when they sat in their uh, when they sat in their Zoom calls and plotted out this season, those athletic directors should be giving themselves virtual high fives right now. The Sugar Bears, uh, the Sugar Bears have won our early fall. So what um, happened with Trey Lance? Trey Lance is going to be a potential first round draft pick. He had one game. Obviously, it's Central Arkansas, but uh, like, what was it twenty six scouts showed up? Twenty six scouts, twenty franchises, and if you are a mid a franchise that, uh, and I actually want to ask Pat because his Broncos seem to be in a black hole at the quarterback position. Who, which of the three he would want? I'm going to ask him that after this. The Lions, the Raiders, the Panthers, the Bills, and the Vikings all sent two scouts. Now, you don't send two scouts to Fargo to look at the tackle, right? Like, you know, maybe the Bills did. But, like, if you if you really are 
if you really are interested in this kid, like I think that's an interesting tell, right? Like that that you're you're lo- you're doubling up for that games. And then there were three higher up executives there. I've sources deep in Fargo, as you guys know, uh, from the Panthers, the Lions, and the Colts. They sent kind of nobody said their GM, but they kind of sent higher up guys there. So anyway, from the NFL perspectives, I know we obviously have a lot of uh, NFL listeners. I thought that was like a little interesting window into maybe the the thoughts or the curiosities of some of those franchises. Uh, Trey Lance was good, not great. One of the scouts I talked to who was there on Saturday thought they didn't run him early, probably like to protect him. And it it got a little gummy. And Central Arkansas was doing like crazy, exotic, like cover zero stuff, and it gummed him up. Like, so give the Sugar Bears credit, right? <laughs> they were going to get their money's worth. So Lance started one of seven. Now there was like a tip ball, and he threw a couple away. Like it wasn't maybe as bad as it looked. He ended up with... I think 15 of 30, around a buck 49 passing and a buck 53 rushing. He had a couple like wow plays, especially in the run game. He threw a couple of good passes. This guy I talked to was basically like, look, he didn't like vault past Trevor Lawrence, but he didn't fall either. Like we saw what we wanted to see a lot of this. And, and again, like a lot of people who don't, understand the full scouting process will laugh at this but like a lot of times the scouts go to these games to literally see them in person like they want to body type them and trey lance looked good which like on the hoof which is which is really important um easton stick told me the other day uh for the profile i did that he looks like a linebacker he looks like a tenant so like he's a big good looking kid which matters more than i think like people should so the NFL saw physical development. They saw improvement, and they saw him play a pretty good game in a weird circumstance. Now, the Sugar Bears, as we know, have played 13 games already on August 4th. Not 13, but it seems like it. So there was a little bit of rust from North Dakota because it was their first game. Like, it wasn't it wasn't perfect, but and Trey Lance threw an interception, which is kind of a bummer. It would have been kind of just a fun stat. Threw an interception, he actually fumbled. The scout told me the fumble was like a missed assignment and wasn't his fault. So, anyway, a little, little bit of a mixed bag for Trey Lance, but I don't think he's going to uh, plummet. So, Pat, if you have your druthers, rank who you would want the Broncos to have of the three quarterbacks in this draft. Um, okay, well, for what for first thing, we haven't given up on Drew Locke yet. I mean, that's that's the problem this year is he's been, he, he's played one game in one series and gotten hurt. And so I still think he might end up being a successful quarterback. But if you are looking to draft a quarterback, and I will admit, I didn't, all I saw were Trey Lance's highlights in which he ran well. Uh, his throwing was like, whatever. You know, I mean, I didn't see anything, you know, spectacular there. He's 6'4", 227, so he does look good uh, when you get down on the field by him. And I thought he showed the athleticism and strength as a runner there. He doesn't, he doesn't run like Lamar Jackson. He's not fast, not brilliantly fast like him, but he's a good runner. Um, Trevor Lawrence, man, um, that's, that's the beginning and the end of the list for me. I am 100% sold on Lawrence and everybody else can line up somewhere in arrears of him. Well, you got to take Lawrence. I mean, that's just a uh, because he 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 runs he runs pretty well too. You, the game's changing quickly in the NFL, so that you need that dual threat. But he moves pretty well, and man, he'd be if you ain't taking him, you're tanking for Arch Manning. Yeah, <laughs> that's a long <laughs> so, tank, long tank. Woo, Arch so Manning. What, we, what is he? The twenty twenty six. I mean, he's oh, 2026 he's, draft. Yeah. Draft. Yeah. 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 I think class right. of 2023. Yeah. He's the number. He's ungodly. He's a Cooper Manning. Son. Might hurt your season ticket sales. Yeah. Son of Cooper Manning. Nephew of Peyton and Eli. Grandson of of uh, Archie and namesake. That's six TDs the other night for Isidore Newman High School in New Orleans. 
I watched the passes. I mean, a couple of them. Uh, <laughs> come on. Yeah, I this think he's a got 15 year old. <laughs> Holy. Can you imagine how many receivers must have transferred to Isidore Newman? <laughs> fighting each other. Yeah, right. He, I right. mean, shoo. And no recruiting yet. Cooper is not allowing recruiting. Yeah. We'll call you. That's, I mean, that's some badass recruiting. Don't I call us. I we'll call it. you. That's some pretty good stuff. Anyway, that uh, we cannot wait for this recruitment. This is the holy. I mean, this is just going to be a a battle <laughs> of all battles for this kid. I've I, I have already told Cooper we we are coming to the kingpin in New Orleans and podcasting with him from yep. there at some point. We so. got to do it. All right, uh, people. Uh, Heisman gets handed out at the end of the year. We don't like to wait. We like to overreact here. So let's hand out the Heisman each week. This is our small sample Heisman. Who won the Heisman Trophy this week? Which one of you two is ready? Not me. Okay. <laughs> Pete Damel. I'm not ready either. All right. I'm going to start. You start. How about that? I'm ready. Right, I'm ready I am now. going to give my small sample Heisman to Miles Brennan, the LSU quarterback. And I'm going to do it on a little bit of a sympathy vote. <laughs> okay. Everybody wants to be a starting quarterback in college football. I've done this in the past. And then you get to be the starting quarterback at LSU and you lose your opener last week and you do not have a great game and you get torched on social media and you begin to doubt and everything. It's really not that much fun all of a sudden. Seems fun. Not when you lose like that. And you're being compared to Joe freaking Burrow at the greatest season statistically of anybody. Why aren't you Joe Burrow? <laughs> Damn. So, Miles Brennan came back and uh, four touchdowns uh, in leading LSU to a victory. I don't care about the level of competition. Uh, take your Heisman this year. Take your Heisman this week. Good job bouncing back. I hope you had fun playing college football because that's what this is supposed to be about. And too often it's not because there's lots of mean people like Pat and Pete. All right, go ahead, gentlemen. <laughs> I'm ready to uh, I'm ready to jump on my small sample Heisman. I am going to give it to BYU's Zach Wilson, who completed 24 of 26 passes against Louisiana Tech on Friday night. Two touchdowns. He has a hair under 85 percent for the season. He is on the cusp of breaking some BYU passing records and let, like. You break a BYU passing record or two now. That's that's a pretty high con. All right. Uh, Steve Young still holds the season percentage mark, which is around 72 percent. So Wilson is well ahead on that. And uh, he's he's an interesting guy to watch. The NFL radar has been cranked up on him some. Uh, they they have a just total dog food schedule the rest of the way, too. They go to Boise and that's really the only like game they won't be heavily favored in. So. Zach Wilson showed some of those flashes that Sully saw when he beat his balls in uh, Knoxville last year, and then when he you know, when he beat uh, USC, he's really brought it all together. And uh, yeah, I really think Zach Wilson could could be rocketing up in the uh, NFL quarterback. I don't know if he'll he'll crack those top three, but he's uh, he's put on a show, and he's he to me is one of the three most fun players to watch. He has an improvisational style. There's a swashbuckling. Manzellian way about him that is that has just been really captivating. So here's your Heisman, Zach. Enjoy it. 
Yeah, no, that's good. And Pete does get the finder's fee on Zach Wilson. He was touting him before the season. Steve Young completed 71% of his passes in 1983 when people like good quarterbacks were completing like 55%. And that's partly what Lavelle Edwards' offense was. But it's also just, I mean, it is preposterous to have completed 70% of your passes in 1983. So that's a hell of a record there. All right, I'm giving my small sample Heisman to Khalil Herbert, Virginia Tech. Kansas transfer. Les Miles comes in. He shipped out. They did not get along. He didn't think Les was going to use him, so he goes to Virginia Tech. Through two games so far, 26 carries, 312 yards, 12 yards a carry. He's had 20 carries for 208 yards against Duke on Saturday. Uh, He's been catching passes. He's been returning kicks. He had three kickoff returns for 150 yards against Duke. He is making the most of his second stop here. And Virginia Tech, they're a heck of a story because they have had players out by the dozens, literally by the dozens for their first couple of games, and they've won them both. And I think Khalil Hubert has a lot to do with that. So he is my small sample Heisman winner. All right. We have said many mean things on this podcast, as we tend to do, but we do try to take a moment to say something nice, uh, if possible. Pat, are you capable of saying something nice? Oh, sure. I can do it. I can do it. Um, I'm going to say something nice about Iowa State. Uh, You know, I mean, I, boy, I I was down on them after they lost the opener to Louisiana Lafayette. It was their second straight year or maybe even third straight year of a real just bust of an opener. Uh, And then they bounced back. They beat TCU. And then, of course, they had the big victory over Oklahoma. I love the black uniforms, the all black look they put out there. Looked like they had a lot of fun despite the sleet. Uh, Matt Campbell had a great post game scene in the locker room with his team. And uh, it's good to see the clones beat Oklahoma at home for the first time since 1960. Good for you, Iowa State Cyclones. We love it in the city of Ames. Correct. <laughs> We are an Iowa State podcast, aren't we? Um, I forgot about the one where they brag about the drinking water. Yeah, he water. It's so sensible. This is where I always have to add that uh, Ames High, Ames High School in Ames, their motto is Ames High, Ames High. It's such an optimistic place. Got to, man. Uh, on that note, I'm going to say something nice about the SMU football team, which I believe is the only 4-0 team in college football right now. They outlasted uh, Memphis, which came off ice of a month of not playing, to go to Dallas. SMU won 32-27, despite the fact that their student section forgot we were in a pandemic, and they tossed the whole section. (laughs) One could argue Georgia probably should have done the same thing. But uh, look, look, Sonny Dykes has found his groove there, and uh, two weeks from now, the SMU-Cincinnati game is going to be a pretty pretty juicy game between two top 20 teams, and I think by the time people listen to this, the polls will be out, and uh, if the ponies aren't ranked, there's going to be hell to pay. Throwing the student section out is, uh, I think that was a nod to every parent during quarantine, (laughs) and and really any parent ever, where you just want to throw them all out of the house. Just 
Just get out of the house. Just you're gone. I don't know where you go. You can wander back later, but just go away. I thought that was very good. That was great. And good uh, job by SMU and the football team. Tim Kalashaw, the Dallas Morning News, uh, took a shot at the, the kids on Twitter, too. He said something like, you know, they, they, and the picture of them was very classic SMU students. They looked, you know, quite preppy and everything. And he said, you know, tough to see this happen to a bunch of up from the bootstraps, guys. And, uh, and then Sonny Dykes <laughs> took a shot back on Twitter saying more objectivity from the Dallas Morning News. So we got a we got a Twitter feud with the media from SMU right now. That's good. You want at least they're they're getting mentioned. Yeah. It's been a yeah. long time. Yeah. Yeah. Get it going. All right. I am going to say something nice about uh the people of Iowa City. Not Ames. Mm. Iowa City, their rival to the east. Uh Iowa City, they need to get Big 10 football back because I follow this uh this uh, Twitter account called the Iowa City Police Log. And it is not the official uh, Iowa City Police, but it is some wise-ass uh, uh, curates excerpts from their online, daily online activity log. And I'm just going to read you a few of what happened on Saturday night. In the absence of Big Ten football, uh, we have drunk people going crazy <laughs> throwing beer bottles. That's one tweet. Okay. <laughs> Girlfriend left him on side of road. He does not know how to get home. <laughs> Someone was trying to get it. I don't want to know. Okay. <laughs> Drunk yeah. fellow won't leave Pancheros. Oh, why would you? <laughs> yeah, right. Good burritos, man. Yeah. Roommate threw a toilet paper that was wet at the RP. Roommate is currently in the shower requesting officer. <laughs> All right. Caller said someone took his McDonald's bag and now he is hungry. Mm, Caller also bummer. advised he was going to kill him. It's <laughs> a serious I bet escalation. He had a 20 pack of nuggets in there. A little <laughs> escalation. Kids walking on Arizona with a cat. Caller is concerned. Keep saying the cat really should not be with them. They have not done anything bad to the cat. They just don't look like they should have a cat. <laughs> That's profiling. What? Yeah. What do you mean? You can't have a cat. <laughs> Looks what? like somebody who shouldn't have a cat. Uh, and uh, my, I'll, this thing goes on and on. I highly re recommend following this. It's called at IC underscore activity log. You never know. I mean, I don't care what acts the crime that happens in Iowa City because I ain't there. So if you live in Iowa City, I can imagine this stuff might be concerning. But to me, the cat, I don't care. <laughs> Uh, the final one this week, my favorite, male <clears throat> passed out with donut on his chest. <laughs> Does it say where? Was, with a donut laying on his chest. Yeah, he's where? A, it does, oh, in lobby, it says. Oh, okay. All right. Huh? Sweet. Now we've all been there. A little, little yeah. sleepy in the lobby. You're trying to carb up, try to soak up some of that alcohol. Big uh, Ten football. Big Ten football cannot come back soon enough. The people in Iowa City are losing their marbles. <laughs> Watching the Iowa State fans have all the fun. Uh, all right. We'll be back on Wednesday, and we're also going to have Fat Bear Week update. And I'd like to say our, 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 we're terrible at picking games this year, particularly me. But all of our picks, Chunk, Walker, and 747, my pick, have made the final four of Fat Bear Week. Wow. 
it's on. You don't know about Fat Bear Week. Listen back. But basically, they got these fat bears up in Alaska, and we vote on who's the fattest. It's a great game. <laughs> uh, we're high-class people. Anyway, 747's taking this thing. Uh, Grazer, 128 Grazer is still in it, too. But he, Chunk- He's the Cinderella. Cinderella, yeah. yeah. Uh, who's like- Chunk's matchup? Do they have matchups? Yeah. Who's, who's Chunk getting the semi? Chunk is playing Grazer. Uh, okay. And I Walker and 747 are, are dueling oh. today. Uh-oh. You and I. Uh, this is head Sunday. You and so I. we might argue. It. And then you can vote Fat Bear Tuesday National Championship on uh, Tuesday. So we'll get that vote. We'll have that in. We'll have more. We'll, we'll, we'll have a good time. Please subscribe. Leave us nice reviews. Share us on social media and keep listening. Football season's going good. Getting better. Talk to you then.